The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. It's time for the John DePietro Show here on News Talk, WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM. He's a special kind of sentinel. Mr. DePietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePietro became the story. Radio talk show host, John DePietro. All right, folks, here we go on this Monday. Good afternoon, one and all. It's Juan. This portion of, of our program, which we entitled Political Monday, is brought to you by Gilmore Furniture. Stop in the President's Day sale. Gilmore Furniture is located Post Road in Warwick, right off of Route 37, right down the street from TF Green Airport. Stop in and see Steve at Gilmore Furniture. Beautiful selection of living rooms, recliners, mattresses, and they're the double-sided mattresses. The President's Day sale continues this month at Gilmore Furniture Post Road in Warwick. Free delivery, up to five years, no interest. American-made furniture. They have great service. It's going to look great in your home. Gilmore Furniture. Where do you see the selection? Beautiful selection on living room sets. How about a nice recliner? When's the last time? You notice any room you go in, if someone has a recliner in their family room, in their living room, uh, whatever. Someone's always sitting in the recliner. And what a selection Steve has. Stop in and see Steve at Gilmore Furniture, Post Road in Warwick. Call him at 737-0100. The President's Day sale extended for the month of February. Stop in and see my friend Steve at Gilmore Furniture, right off Route 37, Post Road in Warwick. Well, folks, let's bring him on. He is the managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com, a segment is Political Monday, and we want to say good afternoon to our friend Justin Katz. Good afternoon, Justin. Good afternoon, John. How are you doing? I'm very well. Justin, I want to start off with uh, news that it's been rumored for a while, and I have uh, floated this out there that I believe this was the direction that uh, she was going to take, and now Barbara Ann Fenton Fung has made it official that uh, she is, in fact, has filed, and she issued a statement about it, talking about the Mattiello Horror Show, tsunami of support she is her first run for office and it's going to be district 15 against house speaker nick mattiello well i think she's she's going to have a good case to make to her constituents potential constituents there i mean there, there's a lot of scandals swirling around the speaker whether anybody thinks it's fair or unfair it's there and it is he is in the papers quite a bit and so i'm sure people are aware of that and it is a pretty conservative district um, where her husband you know, has been mayor, a popular mayor for a while. So there, she does have a strong, a strong expectation, I would think, uh, particularly because Steve Frias, who's, who's a, uh, her predecessor, I guess, as a Republican candidate for that seat, um, came very close and arguably, but for mail ballots, won the, uh, the seat from the, from the speaker. So, and he, you know, not exactly unknown among people who watch Rhode Island politics, but not. And I, I think it could be one factor in some of the others that we'll probably talk about this this afternoon, uh, pointing toward a potential shakeup that could be actually a positive overall in Rhode Island. Uh, a little bit unpredictable political future, perhaps, but but something some a lot of room for hope in that. I'm curious, what makes you say it's a conservative district? Well, I, I'm just. In general, um, compared to other 
other legislators, I mean, like him or not, Speaker Mattiello is a, a pretty conservative Democrat compared to some of the other in his, he, he shares the chamber with. Um, and also looking at his actions when he felt, well, I mean, not, not only did, did Frias come very close to defeating him, and Frias is being very conservative Republican, uh, not only that, but when the Speaker was trying to defend against Frias, he moved to his right, uh, his own right, Mattiello's own right. Uh, and that that's indicative, I think, of his sense of the district. So, I mean, that's mainly what I'd, I'd be basing that characterization on. I would just say, and the reason I say that is, I, I think it may be a Republican district, but I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a conservative district compared with, it's, it's certainly more, and I'm not trying to split hairs here, but just more, when I hear the conservative, um, it may just be more Republican. Do you think she's a better candidate than Steve Frias? Well, I, I think she starts out with a better, you know, a, a bit more name recognition. Uh, we, we noted months ago uh, when she took on her husband's last name, and that, that was one of the indications you had been looking for, uh, that she might be running. So she, I mean, she'll have that name recognition. Um, she's certainly comfortable talking politics and policy, so it's, she well, and she's, I mean, she's been a, a fill-in host for you, I believe, so she's not awkward, she's not going to have trouble talking to people door-to-door, she's not going to fall down flat on any issues, I suspect, uh, when somebody asks her about them. So I, I think she'll, she'll be a good candidate, uh, and I think she'll compare to Steve Frias, as I say, he's, he's very smart, <laughs> sometimes that can be a liability, in fact. Um, he knows the issues, knows politics, but, you know, not quite as well-known, um, and there's also the wild card in, in modern America of identity politics, and he's he's a, a white male, and some people don't don't tend to differentiate quite as much as between white men competing against each other as across gender lines. Good point, excellent point. What about her statement? Uh, what has become response to a nearby tsunami of support, and what has become the Mattiello Horror Show? This allows us to legally take the logical next step: start fundraising, winning team in place, formally launching. Excited about it uh, and ridding District 15 of the never-ending scandals that surround its state representative. What is your uh, thought on that? That is certainly um, what I like about that. There's a lot there that she's getting support. She brings up that there's never-ending scandals, and that's a pretty effective term, Mattiello Horror Show. I think so. I think her, her biggest obstacle, obviously, is losing the Speaker of the House is a lot for a district to lose. I mean, right now, those few thousand people elect the guy who who some people would say runs the entire state government. So that's a pretty powerful guy to be taking out uh, over, the, over you know, a, a General Assembly seat. So highlighting the number of scandals and, and how the number of the grand juries and, and making you know, playing that angle up is is likely to be an effective way to hit people emotionally um, because, you know, not everybody in the district receives any kind of direct benefit by having a speaker as their representative. But uh, so I I think that that will be um, an effective line to take, and it's kind of an obvious one, although she, it can be overplayed. Uh, There being too much on a negative can be a a detraction. So I, I don't know the district so well as to parse who will be a reluctant uh will reluctantly let Mattiello go and who will be excited to let him go but but if you're if you're 
not so much reminding people as, of scandals as making making it seem like attack ads. That's a line that, that her campaign ought to watch. I, I don't think her statement today has it comes even close to that line, but it, it, it is a consideration. I agree with that. And again, folks, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro, our guest. It's our segment, Political Monday, with Justin Katz, manager at OceanStateCurrent.com. A couple of things, Justin. Um, of all of Cranston, District 15... That is President Trump's best district. The most votes President Trump got in all of Cranston, and he did very well in the city of Cranston, was in fact District 15. So that's the, the turnout for November with President Trump on the ballot. That helps her. She is running as a Republican, which I think in this particular situation helps her. Four years ago, Nick Mattiello supposedly beat Steve Fires by 85 and it came down to mail ballots 85 votes now that the results and the way that that election came about is basically going to be on trial this year with with brit going in brit on trial and felony charges from the mattiello re-election in 2016 that's different this time around and and to his detriment i believe and i know both individuals i think barbara and fenton fung is a stronger candidate than Steve Fryers. I think I think for a lot of the voters, they're going to find her refreshing. She is uh, just being different and a female. She just has a different way about her. She's very talented speaker. She's very engaging. Um, obviously, the Fung name plays very strong. He's got huge approval ratings. <clears throat> I think she's also smart to do it now. She's the first one to announce because if, in fact, the speaker gets indicted, and we're going to talk about that, and then is basically removed uh, just because I think within 48 hours of him being indicted, I know he's going to try to hold on, but I think some other people, he's just going to lose support very rapidly. Um, I, I think the, the thing is she's doing it now. She's not waiting. This could end up being an open seat race because if he is removed as speaker, he probably won't leave as being a rep, but I can't imagine him, well, I, I don't, anything's possible, I guess, but that would just make it even more detrimental. So I, I think her timing is smart. Um, I think it's even smart to do it now, first, out of the box early. Uh, if, in fact, he decided not to run for re-election because he was removed as speaker, then other, maybe another Democrat steps up. But I think for her best scenario would actually be if he remained as speaker, and then you take him out, and then you're a giant killer, and let me ask you this, Justin Katz, Barbary and Fenton Fung, I think we're seeing a little bit of an evolution of the Republican Party because Blake Filippi certainly is becoming the face of the Republican Party, and I think that's positive. But not to put you on the spot, but what female right now, either Republican or Democrat, um, has emerged as you know a player in politics right now? I'd be curious to hear your answer on that. <laughs> Well, that's that's a good question. I mean, uh, obviously, Patricia Morgan's been oh god around a while. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, she's out of the that, game, though, Justin. Right? Yeah. She's, well, she's not even she doesn't even hold office anymore. She's not a Republican. Yeah. So, yeah, no. I mean, she and she's certainly not new. But go right ahead. No, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I, there, there isn't. I mean, there are Sherry Roberts is good in the House. Uh, Lane Morgan is is great in the Senate, uh, particularly for the Center for Freedom and Prosperity's legislative index. They both do very well. So there are some strong women on the Republican side, uh, but they they haven't been making certainly the play for prominence that Blake Filippi has. Uh, so I, I think 
Barbara would be a something that isn't currently on the uh, on the political table for for Republicans in the state. Yeah, and, and also neither one of those, and I know both of them, and they have done very well. But no one, number one, outside of the district, I don't think. No one really knows who they are, whereas Blake Flippy's being written about. He's having more of a state pride profile. And also what I judge it is I don't hear anyone saying either one of those individuals. And again, I've interviewed both. Um, I like the work they do. But no one is suggesting they should maybe seek a higher office or they're ready for higher office. That's the way I look at it is, is on the Democrat side, you have some people that seemingly are ready. They'd be like a Seth magazine is already treasurer. He's looking to maybe make a run for governor. Gorbia, um, you know, she's secretary of state. I, now I'm hearing she may actually go for lieutenant governor instead of governor. You you have a couple of individuals like that. I, The Republican Party has been lacking having that female face of who is, in fact. I mean, the last high-profile, real high-profile face I'm going to say would be, and it was several years ago now, but was Doreen Costa. She was out there a lot. And it was Patricia Morgan. You're right. She was definitely as House Minority that ran for governor. But I think Barbary and Fenton Funk could, could fill that void. Sticking with, I, go ahead. I just wanted to not be negligent. You should also mention Sue Sienke, who's the chairwoman now of the, the state Republican Party. Uh, I haven't heard any indication that that's a stepping stone for her to hire office, but she is on, she is out there as a, you know, a face of the Republican Party. So, um, I say that only the, the party's well represented um, with women, um, but I, there's, there are none that seem as likely to be pursuing a a political career of higher office as who seem as likely to be doing that as, as um, Barbara Ann Fenton. Yeah, and as someone, I mean, I've interviewed both. I know both. Uh, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung is is she's all due respects to Susie Hank, but. She's a different level. She's a, a another level of her. Uh, Fenton Fung, I mean, excuse me, Susie could be judged on how she makes out uh, in November with whether or not she can actually deliver and get some people elected. But if you would have the two of them, and there's no love there in any way because she was not the choice of the Fungs to lead the party. They were with that woman um, from Jamestown. Uh, but if I would have put the two of them in some, some form of debate, and I'm not saying that would happen, but it's to me, it's as someone that has watched both, interviewed both, see how they interact. Um, I, I don't think it's close. I think Fenton Fung is, she's just more skilled. She's just more talented. Sticking with the speaker, Justin Katz, last week, uh, this doesn't happen all the time. It's unique. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. There they were, outside the grand jury, the chief of staff for Speaker Nick Mattiello, Leo Skenyon, and then prior to that, you had his right-hand man, Head of the JCLS, Frank Montanaro, who is no stranger to controversy, both of them appeared in front of the grand jury by all accounts of which the House Speaker is the target of that grand jury. Yeah, well, that's, that's never good for, <laughs> for a politician to have your, your top aides being investigated by a, a grand jury. Um, of course, it, this does seem to be moving pretty quickly, so we'll... We won't really know, you know, the outcome until a week or two. Hopefully, when when the grand jury make or the attorney general makes some kind of an announcement about moving forward or not. Um, but just yeah, just watching every every time there's a news cycle uh, with those two walking into a courthouse or, or doing interviews over a, a grand jury investigation involving the speaker, it's it's got to be bad news and disrupting. And also, it's an enticement to others like Barbara Ann Fenton 
um, to to take some action and, and just to go back a little bit on um, one of the reasons it's smart for her to make her play now and announce now is that she can set herself up even if nothing comes of these grand jury investigations she can be, set herself up as an alternative while Mattiello is in the news already and so that's that's what's going to continue to be damaging to the speaker as long as this goes on. So I'm sure they're hoping it, it disappears quickly uh, and they can try to recover and do some damage control, but uh, there, there could be that dribs and jabs every, every week of, of some, somebody else being, walking into a, a courthouse or, or the same people walking into a different uh, room to, to address some other, other part of the process. So that, that's, it's, gonna, it's been a stay in the headlines and it's, it's not helping the speaker any, I'm sure, especially with the legislative session now in full swing. Do you think, um, Justin Katz, that the speaker's being the target of the grand jury, his chief of staff being in front of the grand jury, and then his right-hand man in charge of the JCLS, Frank Montanaro, testifying, do you think it received the proper amount of news coverage? And the reason I say that is Channel 12, to me, has been leading the charge on this. Um, the journal's done some coverage, but Channel 6 and Channel 10, for whatever reason, they did not choose to report on that the speaker's two top aides, Leo Scanyon and Montanaro, appeared in front of a grand jury, of which the Speaker of the House, the most powerful position in the state, is the subject and target of the grand jury. Do you think it received proper coverage? Well, I, I think, I mean, anybody, one, one of the advantages of, of Rhode Island as a small market or with multiple media outlets is if it, anybody who's paying attention gets their news from all of those sources. Uh, so it, it's a kind of an uh, interesting question what different outlets cover and what they don't. Um, so I, I'm not prepared to, you know, criticize anybody for not covering it. it is It is a step in the process, but, you know, in a newsroom you're weighing, you know, another step that everybody knows was going to be taken, and I, I don't believe there's been any, you know, additional information. It's just the fact that they did, in, did in fact, testify, which we knew they were going to do. So, I, I mean, I, I think there's probably, for this particular event, I would say there's probably, probably enough coverage for Rhode Islanders' sake. Um, and Ch Channel 10 has long had a very different, uh, a different approach to, to choosing what stories to cover and I, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with um, with you know, trying to favor one party over another, one person over another um, I, I think they just make different choices for their audience so I, I, I guess it's kind of a roundabout squishy answer but uh, that, that's my impression of that I'm going to disagree and I'll tell you why most people, they don't flip around the way you or I might or they're on Twitter they'll just watch one station um, it's significant it's news. It's. I mean, if this is not news, then then we have a problem. Uh, the it because, and I talked about this with Dan McGowan, but you know what is news, and and you come back to that for anyone that is was a journalism major. News is news is not the planes are landing on time at TF Green Airport. The news is a flight skidded off the runway, flights are canceled. You know something. It's something out of the ordinary. The 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 most powerful person in the state is the target of a grand jury. Two top aides testify. I watched all, I will, will watch all three. S uh, favoring different parties. I don't view it as favoring different parties. It's some of the stories they did instead of covering that, which to me, it should have been led on all three. Um, you know, Channel 6, 
somebody was delivering a pizza in West Warwick and the kid ran out and hugged him and the parents felt like so they, they're saying that's news that a small child hugged a, a pizza delivery man Ch- Channel 10 had some fluff story about like a dog or th- like I, I don't view it as favoring one part or the other it's it's the it's the dumbing down fluffness of of, of, of the things that they were quote Reporting as news stories that night, I, I highly question if it is really news. I think, um, to me, on certain topics, it 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 should be across the board coverage. I believe this is one of those stories. I was I was praising the journal for covering it. I think Channel Twelve has led the the way with it. It's not. I don't view it as. I, I watch the news. I dissect the news. Um, it's in this element that starts to float into almost like happy talk type of thing. Um, you know, a place opens, uh, some organization is uh, having some kind of a thing that's not really going to come into anything. It's To me, it's that uh, several years ago, all three would have led with it. And instead, you know, they're, they're doing what I consider to be just fluff stories that... You know, it's it's part of the problem now where people submit videos as news, and and uh, some some kid in Australia is being bullied, and that's suddenly news because they have footage of the kid crying. That that's how I view it. Not so much about whether or not favoring political party. I'll, I'll be, if you want to respond well, to that. Yeah, well, I mean, as a as a sort of a, a meta discussion about about news and the business of news in, in these days, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I just I recall. I mean, some years ago, I did a a, a segment. Versus a progressive on Channel 10 as to, to finish out their weekly news show, um, talk show. And while we were waiting, I would watch this. They had the Google Analytics for their website going, you know, showing how many people were on the site at any given time. And the the person whose desk was near there once mentioned to me, you know, it's, it blows up when you get those, you know, kid hu- hugs a, a delivery guy stories. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. It is, a, it is a big problem. But on this particular one, I, I, I just followed a little bit on, okay, we knew they were going to be going to the grand jury. There was no new news out of it. There were new pictures. So I, it is newsworthy, but, but it's one where I could see a business making a different, a different call for their, you know, their stories, what they cover in their limited time. We don't have to agree on everything. We disagree on this one. To me, Channel 10 right. should have been there outside the grand jury. There's Montanaro. There's Leo Skenyon. Uh, they, what they do, do is deliver video. If I'm going to see video of something... That's video I want to see. It's obviously newsworthy. Um, I just start to question, I think, you know, and and, and erodes a little bit local news product. I don't think they should say, well, Channel 12 is covering it, so we don't have to. There's something wrong. Channel 10, there's been several stories now where, for whatever reason, that, and it's a news director, by the way. It's the news director that makes that decision. We're going to do this story. We're not going to do that story, that type of thing. Um, I see a lot of them. You know, like that woman, Mary Hansey or Halsey, whatever, that then appeared on Ellen, you know, who was rapping to Missy Ellett. Like, in, in the, the, there's a problem if that's become news and the most powerful person of the state is the target of a criminal investigation and that's if they don't get coverage. I want to move on to um, folks. And again, good afternoon. It's Sean DiPietro. It's Political Monday with uh, Justin Katz. Sticking with that, just your thought on it came out on Friday. 
But Blake Filippi, the House Minority Leader, and it kind of rolls into, I think, the journal coverage on the JCLS, which a lot of people are not that familiar with. Um, he's adding more people to the lawsuit against them. But Justin Gets, what really stands out is this is, to me, an, an abuse of government where, you know, in, in up until 2009, that was an organization that, um, and they write, you know, once upon a time, they used to meet to approve the legislative's budget. And suddenly, the last time they met was May 2009. And since then, the legislative budget has grown from $33 million to $45 million. And I think you can make a direct correlation that one of the reasons that the legislative budget, where they just hand out all these jobs and raises and spending, one of the reasons why it has grown, think about that. In 2009, the budget was $33 million. And now it's basically 46 million. Um, I would say the reason it, it has grown so much is because they don't meet, which means then there's no process of approving this legislative budget that goes in each year. Well, sir, I mean, I think the, my big takeaway from the Blake Filippi's Philippi, change of his lawsuit is it's not just adding new people. I mean, he's changing the, the nature of the lawsuit, whereas before it was, you know, this. This particular decision of the speaker to instigate an audit was wrong. Now he's, it's more challenging the idea of, of the, how the JCLS operates. And that, if he pursues it and if, you know, if Rhode Island courts are kind of notorious for uh, decisions like this, but if they do uh, come down and say, yes, this is a, a board, that ought, a committee that ought to be, be meeting and authorizing budgets, and if that doesn't happen, there's no authorization. If the court starts to find that sort of thing, it could really shake things up. Not only, not only for Mattiello in the, a limited capacity, but uh, you now you're suddenly adding in that two, at least two members of the opposition party are having substantive say in the way government operates. And it, one of the that's a kind of a hopeful bright spot here is this is, as has been said, this is a way to give out patronage jobs. It's a it's a way to have a, I think Philippi called it a slush fund for the speaker. Um, if that sort of gentleman's agreement of this is how we're going to do things starts to go away, that I mean, think of how how incredible it is that it's a major a major political story and revolutionary that the minority leader wants the the, the body that runs the general the uh, legislature's budget to actually meet. <laughs> more than once a decade. I mean, that's, if that's, that shows you how far we've gone in Rhode Island, that that's kind of a, a revolutionary thing, and everybody's saying, you know, oh, this guy's really, really being aggressive here. I mean, that, that's just basic governance. And so, so it's, it's very hopeful to me that, that he's pursuing it. I, I, it's kind of disappointing that um, the others on the uh, GCLS, including the, the minority leader of the Senate, uh, Dennis Algiers, are not... Are not backing him on this because I think this has potential to make have some real big consequences. I agree with you, Justin. What does it say? that This is one of those things to me, it's almost it, it doesn't seem conceivable that, you know, it's taken 11 years and this high form of government, you could even argue the highest form of our local government, and there's, there's no oversight in any way and um, I don't know what to make of that, even the fact that you know, it does coincide that the last time they met was Governor Kachiri was the governor. And then suddenly when Chafee came in, 
Maybe he didn't even know what was going on, whatever, didn't see it as a priority, what have you. But suddenly it leads into one year they don't meet, and then the next year they don't meet, and Fox turns into Mattiello, and here it is 2020, and, you know, Minority Leader Blake Filippi has to take them to court. I agree with you. I think it was a very smart move to extend the lawsuit. But this is also, I think, a perfect example of there's... You know, absolute power corrupts. Dennis Algier, you know, he's been there a long time. I I fear that he's just felt, you know, just kind of go along to get along. Uh, they say to him, what do you want? And then as a result of that, then he just, you know, stays silent. And it, it, it's, it, it makes zero sense that this organization has not met. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, just if you step back and think about it, so here's this, this budget that grows, uh, the, the, the bipartisan committee that's supposed to own it and manage it doesn't meet. Meanwhile, some, you get something like the convention center where it's run by a private entity that refuses to give over personnel information as saying it's not a public entity that has to release that sort of information. Um, even the best of, of, most well-intentioned and principled Speaker of the House would probably find a reason to, to or temptation to start abusing that. You've got all these millions of dollars uh, that just flow out at your command. And I, I think it, it will be very interesting. I don't expect a court to do as, as Blake seems Blake suggests and, and find that, say, Montanaro was hired illegally and they've been spending money illegally all these years. I, a court would probably you know, pull back from that. But if, if the, you really get to where the five people um, in this House and Senate who are supposed to be on this committee are meeting and doing things as they're supposed to be. I mean, not only will it immediately make a big change in how the influence, the relative influence of all of them, but maybe it'll be an example of you know how government is supposed to be run and other legislators who you know all legislators should be behind this. This is their joint legislative committee. Um, Maybe they'll start you know, having a little bit more gumption and saying, hey, we also want to be able to vote on our own bills, not do whatever we're told to do. That could be revolutionary. I, I don't get my hopes up because this is Rhode Island, but it's possible. Folks, again, good, uh, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. Sweet with Justin Katz, managing at our OceanStateCurrent.com. Segment is Political Monday. Justin, I want to jump to a couple of um, topics, and then I know you have one that, that you want to discuss. But um, I'd like to hear just your thought that after Iowa, um, Governor Raimondo, her team had been talking with former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. And as the former head of the National Governor Association, she wasn't just any governor. She was seen a little more clout, uh, certainly had some dealings with all the Democrat governors. And all of a sudden, the way Iowa was a mess, and especially how poorly at the time, Vice President Biden feared the Raimondo people very quickly jumped into action and organized an endorsement of him, of uh, Mike Bloomberg. It all came together within 24 hours. Uh, people that I know that went there were basically told in the afternoon uh, on, I think it was a Tuesday, we need you Wednesday to come. Yeah, it was a Wednesday to uh, to come to you know, such a location, and they were trying to get as many people in the room as they could. So it really came together last second, where then he appeared Wednesday morning, and they did a little, um, they call it a B-roll, where they show him walking around outside with him, her, and um, 
and the first gentleman, and then she endorses him. And all this is done. She never mind. She she sidestepped and overlooked two women in the race. You know, this was the, you know, and you didn't have to keep. You didn't have to listen for the speech where she would mention she was the first female governor elector on Ireland. She was 100% in on Hillary Clinton. You and I have discussed the um, the situation where she's done this uh, part of, and she came up with it, governor for a day, and it's a contest that only young girls can enter by writing an essay. And, you know, she's going to go around and be the co-chair of the campaign. And uh, as I said, overstepped Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, even though she was all in on Hillary Clinton. And she's coming out like, you know, this is the moderate and he's going to be the, the leader. And there was even speculation, which I thought was foolish locally. About, She'll probably be the vice presidential candidate for Mike Bloomberg. And I'd like to just your, hear your thought on how his... In the aftermath of his debate appearance, how all of this now, what this says and reflects upon Governor Raimondo? Well, I mean, I, I think the bottom line is it, it reflects on the, the cynicism of it all. I mean, we, as we discussed last week, I think it was, the, a lot of the incentive for her and the reason we would expect her to have taken that step of, of endorsing Bloomberg at this early stage has really nothing to do with politics or, or the, the policies he might pursue. I'm sure she's much more in keeping with his political philosophy than some of the others, um, Bernie Sanders notably. Uh, but at the same time, she gets to appoint her friends to you know, his uh, his local head campaign headquarters. It gives her opportunity to travel around on his behalf. Um, so a lot of the benefits, I, from her perspective, are not, you know part of the, the sort of surface debate of, of, of the candidates, their, their identities, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think that that's probably plays into a lot of her, her decision. And so it, that his debate performance was not, not helpful, but not entirely relevant to all of that. Now, on the other hand, one of the, one of the big things he was attacked about were her non-disclosure agreements with women whom he might have said things about and that sort of thing. And if that continues to snowball that could really start to affect her brand as, you know, the first female governor of Rhode Island and all that. Uh, so that's, that's the calculated risk I think she's probably making right now in her endorsement. You know, you're right on uh, she is certainly then assumed, you know, Cara Cromwell got a job, Bloomberg, Rhode Island, and that uh, Sid McKenna, I mean, by all accounts, I mean, talk about someone. Um, she, she left the executive director of the state party in order to now supposedly be part of the Bloomberg effort in Rhode Island. I, I view him as, I mean, that debate performance, they're calling it possibly the worst debate performance since they've been looking at getting people that amount of time on a stage. He was, there was not, there was not one positive article that came out of it. They were trying to spin it like he's just warming up, tried to do some slick commercials. I, I think there's a political lesson there, and that is where she thought, she was being see i always just she's definitely one of those individuals thinks she's the smartest in the room she, after she saw iowa she thought i've seen enough what i need to see uh bloomberg's gonna win i'm gonna jump in early blah 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 and i i no one is to me no one is stopping bernie sanders i think tomorrow night bloomberg's gonna do even worse on the debate stage there's no one that automatically flips a switch and it's gonna flip i think he's in the wrong party the issues that are haunting him are not 
issues to be massaged in any way. They're, they're not going to let him off the mat. Elizabeth Warren continues to pummel him. I think he's all done after Super Tuesday. I think the lesson here. And then where's Ramundo? Now she's really on the outside looking in because she endorsed him. And I, I think his candidacy is dead after Super Tuesday because that's what it's all building towards. But I think that's what it is. That this is another example. I, she always just, to me, always th- seems to think she's kind of got one up on everybody, smarter than everyone else. And, and this is backfiring big time. I mean, she, I think there's a reason why, you know, they say in sports, uh, there's a reason why they play the game. And this was all she really had to do was wait and say, I just want to watch one debate because then uh, who, who would endorse him after watching him in that debate? I, I he, put it this way. He hasn't really received any endorsements since he had a couple leading up to it. But he hasn't got any endorsement since that debate. I don't think anything is going to stop Sanders. Speaking of Sanders, Justin Katz, uh, what effect do you think, to me, again, we, uh, to me, it is very clear. Bernie Sanders is going to win the nomination. Bloomberg has actually helped him by accident. Um, I, this is several factors. Iowa really threw off the field because it kept everybody alive. Elizabeth Warren, who can't win, she can't win the nomination, but she is going to stay in it. And the Bloomberg people even annoyed uh, Mayor Pete and Klobuchar and Biden by actually telling them to leave the race because they thought Bloomberg is the only one that can stop Sanders. Now, Biden did decent in Nevada. We'll see how he does in South Carolina. He had his best debate against Bloomberg. Elizabeth Warren is back somehow still alive and not dropping out because she did well, I think, because of Bloomberg. But what effect do you think... It has here in Rhode Island, where we have seen kind of um, the traditional, quote, party fighting against, you know, the Bernie loyalist. What, what, what is your thought about Bernie Sanders becoming the nominee and what that does to the Rhode Island delegation? Well, it, it, the thing with Bernie Sanders doing this well is it's, it's a moment where masks are coming off. And it's, it's the big question is how far are you willing to go? Where do you, do you have any principles at all? Or is it just to socialism? Is everything between here and socialism just an incremental step that you don't want to take just yet? I mean, that's we're jumping into people having to answer that question, especially if he's the nominee. And it does, it, it's fun, it's kind of, to be honest, fun to watch. I mean, even, even among some Republican never-Trumper types, there's like this panic. <laughs> oh, please don't. They're pleading on Twitter and elsewhere. Please don't nominate this guy. <laughs> then it's it's a really difficult and impossible choice for everybody to make. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting that, that that's where we are. I think in Rhode Island it does. I mean, Governor Raimondo is recently not only not only endorsing Bloomberg, but has been speaking against Sanders, um, it, almost independently of whether Bloomberg's the other alternative. And I, I think that's an indication of where these difficulties are going to lie. And I think you're going to have that filter all the way down into say, general assembly races where the progressives feel resurgent, and they certainly will if Bernie Sanders is the head of the Democrat ticket. And you start to raise a question for, for the more moderate Democrats and even just the, the go-along, get-along ones. Uh, do they, are, do, whose side are they on? I mean, we were talking about the, the race in Cranston. If, if it's Trump versus Bernie Sanders, uh, that's even going to be even more uh, incentive against voting for, say, Mattiello or whoever might replace him if he were to drop out. That the 
the moderate Democrats or, or the less progressive Democrats are going to have a lot, a lot they're going to have to answer for, and it starts to write its own its own attack ads for the for Republicans in the races to try to tie them to somebody like Bernie Sanders. And uh, one review I was reading recently, you know, you, you go back, they saying the, the Trump campaign is salivating over the idea of Bernie as a competitor because you can go back. 40 more more years of Bernie Sanders backing every anti-American cause on the globe. Uh, and that's that's going to be a lot of weight for anybody down the ticket in his party to, to carry. I agree with you. And we saw it play out. Um, I think the best example we saw was, and, and Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee, he was able to fight off the challenge for Lieutenant Governor by Aaron Rugenberg, who happens to be one of the Bernie Sanders in in Rhode Island. I think the the larger element is it's one thing for Bernie Sanders to be able to stand up at a rally and explain his policies and the way he frames it, and he's very effective. He's a great speaker. The way he comports himself, um, he 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 is by far the the most gifted presenter on the stage that I saw in that debate the other night. But there's there's a a large difference of if you're Congressman Jim Langevin, and suddenly now, who has a primary against, uh, excuse me, a general against Bob Lancia, what what do you do for like a Langevin or a Reed, who suddenly now, see, I think the Reed seat, even though they kind of have a token opposition now, but, you know, so is Senator Reed and Langevin, just as an example there, are they not on board with the presidential candidate? Are they endorsing Bernie Sanders, I, I think that it does create a lot of problems uh, down ballot. And and that's the problems that I see. Because even, you know, yesterday on This Week with Stephanopoulos, um, uh, Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, was saying in Illinois, there's three kind of moderate congressional people up for re-election. And they're going to have, like, real races. And they're very concerned because they are not in line with what Bernie Sanders is promising. So the way that the Democrats were tying people to President Trump, you know, it's kind of, Justin, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, now would, I, I'd like to see Langevin and Reed trying to defend some of the actions of if, if or what are they going to do, not endorse the person that's on the ticket for the, for the president? Um, that, that's an interesting dynamic. Let's get to, though, I do, would like you to uh, touch on... Um, the fact the job and opportunities index signs of growth and um, for the uh, Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity. Yeah, well, this is a an index we put out some years ago, and we, we update it every every few months, quarterly. Uh, it measures the economy of, of Rhode Island, um, and one of the things it does differently is not only employment, but it also looks at welfare. So if welfare goes up, that's not a good sign for the economy. And the same thing, uh, we don't just look at income, we look at taxes and balance all that out. And Rhode Island, when, when we, the data we started with was 2005. Rhode Island was 42nd in the country, and we during the Chafee years, we quickly dropped to 48. 47, and we've hovered around there ever since. Um, and so Friday on rifreedom.org, we released the latest version, which is uh, for the fourth quarter of the last of 2019. And again, it shows us in a rut, which really provides an indicate, it provides some evidence against the statement that Rhode Island's policy, local policies, are working because we're going up, but so is the rest of the country. That's the that's the issue. Our local policies are not improving our standard at all, especially in comparison with New Hampshire, which is consistently number one in the country on our index. 
Uh, so I, I encourage our listeners to go check that out, ifreedom.org, and it's, it's the Jobs and Opportunity Index. We do it every few months, and, and it, it's kind of an antidote to all the happy talk about unemployment rates and that kind of thing. And Justin, just before I let you go, um, I am curious uh, your thoughts on just two people. Dan McGowan, his roadmap, um, daily email of the Boston Globe, he floats out the fact that Brendan Daugherty, who was the head of the Rhode Island State Police, who ran as a Republican against Congressman David Cicilline, lost, uh, switched over to become a Democrat, two, two races. Um, he's floating out that he may be looking at governor for 2022. And also, uh, I did mention Bob Lancia, who was a representative of Cranston, who announced he's now um, challenging Congressman Jim Langevin for that second district congressional seat. I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on both of those candidates. Well, I think Brendan Doherty uh, made a good candidate. He, he might have had a better case to make for running for governor when he did run. Um, on the other hand, he's been he's been out of the public eye for a few years, so he does. If he is planning to get in, he needs to get out there now and start having himself be seen as an alternative and a potential gubernatorial candidate. But I mean, he has experience with the state police, uh, and people who are watching, like like the two of us, have noticed a distinct change in the. The, uh, I don't know how to put it, the, the, the way Rhode Islanders look at the state police and as an apolitical uh, organization, that's gotten deteriorated quite a bit since Brendan already left. So there's, he's got a case to make there. So there's a lot he, to, to say for that. And I, I don't, there, uh, the rates, as we discussed last week, the, the number of people on the Republican side who might be considered for gubernatorial race is not extensive. So there, there could be a lot of, you know, it's small enough that they could all come together and, and have an agreement not to have another, yet another year of, of trying to make each other bleed uh, running up into the general election. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting development. Um, it, I, it'd be interesting to compare, if, especially if Steve Laffey were to also jump in. Uh, now, Bob Lancey, I, I think that's intriguing. I, I have to say I'm, I'm skeptical just because it's election after election we watch all various sorts of Republicans, well-known, not so well-known, um, conservative, more moderate, going for these you know, congressional seats, and all hitting within you know, pretty roughly the same range. I mean, if you do really, really well, you can maybe hit the you know, 40 percent, but other, but as a default, you don't even have to show up, and you'll get 30 something. Uh, just people who are sick of our our congressional delegation. So I'm skeptical that much can be done there, but. Bob Lancey does have, um, by the nature of, of, of his, his activism as a, as a pastor and um, military record, he does have outlets and he does reach out to constituencies that often elude Republicans, so minority voters in Providence Day. I mean, he was a driving force in a, a really successful school choice event that was very uh, diverse in the audience. Um, and that that a wild card in that race that at the very least I think he'll, he'll hit the higher end of Republicans typical range in those races um, and perhaps pass it. folks he is the managing editor at OceanStateCurrent.com it's Justin Katz Justin great job as always and we'll talk to you again it's a pleasure thanks Tom I'll talk to you next 
Folks, there it is. Uh, Justin with us. Um, this portion of the program is brought to you by Ryan's Appliance Repair. Remember what we say. If your appliance is dying, just call Ryan. Ryan's Appliance Repair. 401-710-7096. 401-710-7096. Ryan's Appliance Repair. 766-1380. A lot of news to get to on this Monday. And it's all ahead. Paul Massey Buick GMC South is New England's number one Buick dealer with the area's largest selection and Rhode Island's number one GMC dealer. Get the lowest price anywhere. Paul Massey's one price plus true car equals our best price. Guaranteed. Lease a 2020 Terrain SLE front wheel drive for only $198 a month for 39 months with $24.88 due at signing. So shop Paul Massey, where every vehicle is clearly marked with our lowest one price. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T-Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401-332-0000. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Right now, we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text, and data. With no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. Call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal with T-Mobile for Business, 401-332-0000. Hey, spring is in the air. How great is the weather that we're experiencing right now? You're going to start to spend more time outside. And then suddenly you start to notice that what do you have outside on your siding of your home or your building or your garage or your al algae and mildew? Well, you need to call my friend, Jared. It's, it's Bethel Softwash. Bethel Softwash. I'll tell you, Jared is fantastic. He will come out. I'm going to give you his number in just a moment. But first of all, remember now, Bethel Softwash residential biodegradable plant safe solution and what does it do it gets rid of that the green stuff as i like to call it the the algae the mildew and a lot of times i know there are people that thought huh i thought that maybe that would have died off during the course of the winter time with the cold weather well it doesn't it just lies dormant but you need bethel soft washing highly trained team come out and gently wash away all that unwanted material that's on the side of your home or your business or your garage or your shed. It's algae. It's mildew. Get rid of it. What a difference it's going to make. You know, Jared does so much business with people that are maybe selling their home or selling the business. And we really start to notice it as the good weather starts to get here. Contact him today. Bethel Softwash. Certified cleaning. And the easiest thing to do is, number one, they have a great Facebook page. And it's Bethel Certified Softwash on Facebook. But you can text him directly. And many people, they take a picture. So take a picture of that green stuff on the side of your home or your business or your garage. And you can text it to him. And he'll give you a free same-day estimate. You can text Jared at 401-617-2585. 401-617-2585. The weather is getting warmer. 
And then people start to spend. We're spending more time outdoors as spring starts to arrive. You want to get rid of that green stuff, that the green algae, the uh, mildew. Oh, it's repulsive. Get rid of it. Don't say, well, you know, it looks good for St. Patrick's Day. No, that algae, the mildew, get rid of it. Bethel soft wash. 401-617-2585 or look for them on Facebook or text Jared 401-617-2585. You are listening to the John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. All right, folks, and we're back on uh, what the news is just pouring in. It's the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, and we go right until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at DePietro.com. The, uh, the events of what's going on with the, um, the Democrat Party and the fact of their efforts to, to stop Bernie Sanders, I just don't. I just don't see it. I'm seeing, uh, just checking some uh, things on Twitter. Just in, Joe Scarborough said, time for Warren and Klobuchar drop out. Help consolidate efforts against Sanders. Well, that's completely foolhardy because she's, Elizabeth Warren is not dropping out to try to stop Bernie Sanders. I, you know, I, I did put out and I tweeted out on, on Twitter that I, I thought that was going to be um, that that was going to be the the true ticket for the fall would be Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and as much as you could argue against it you then have um, the numbers that those two together which would be a total progressive ticket apparently are polling very well very, very well. As much as Jane Sanders apparently doesn't like Elizabeth Warren, uh, they're both, you know, both from New England. With he's from Vermont, she's from Massachusetts. Other than that one skirmish they had where she went up and said, you know, you said a woman can get elected. But by and large, that was, it's over with. So I, I don't know about enough. I, we, no one does. No one does. But I wouldn't rule that out. All right, folks, stay tuned. The Power Hour is next. We're going to bring you up to speed on everything. And then, of course, the news on uh, Barbary and Fenton Fung, which I think is big. It's all ahead. Stay with us on the John DePietro Show. Iwan Socket, W236CW, W260DC. W-N-O.